Well, this morning, I'm excited. We're going to begin a brand new series today uh, entitled Eagerly Waiting, and we're going to talk about what does it mean to live a life of anticipation? What does it mean to live a life of anticipation? But not just any anticipation. I want to talk something specific this morning. I want to talk about what does it mean to live a life of anticipation, anticipating the return of Jesus Christ. How many know Jesus is actually coming again? Do y'all know that? Uh, He is coming again, and the Bible is very clear that Jesus is going to return, and He's going to come in power, and He's going to come in glory. And uh, we're excited about the return of Christ. And so we want to talk about today what would happen if we would literally begin to live our lives anticipating the return of Jesus Christ. Now let me just go ahead and kind of table this series with this simple thought. I am by no means a biblical scholar uh, on the return of Christ or end time prophecy or the rapture of the church or any of those things. I do believe I have a pretty accurate biblical understanding of all of those events, uh, but I am by far uh, uh, not a scholar in any of those areas. But this is what I do know. I want you to look at this scripture, Romans, uh, on the screen right here. Romans 13, 11. This is what I do know without a shadow of a doubt. Look what Paul said. He said, this is all the more urgent, for you know how late it is. Time is running out. Wake up, for our salvation is nearer now than when we first believed. Let me tell you what I do know without a doubt. His return is closer now than when we first believed. I am uh, officially 45 years old, and I got saved when I was 15 years old. That means that for 30 years I've been a believer in Jesus Christ. 30 years ago to now, I can tell you one thing. His return is closer now than it was when I first believed. Amen? And if you look around the world, you don't have it hard. You know, it's not real hard to recognize that there are many things happening around us today that are ushering in the second coming of Jesus. Christ. So we're going to talk over the next few weeks about what would happen if we lived a life of anticipation. Let me just kind of go ahead and break it down a little bit for you all. So next Sunday, we're going to talk specifically about what are we waiting for? What are we anticipating? What should our anticipation and this eagerly waiting uh, spirit within us, what are we actually waiting for as we wait for the second coming of Christ? And we're going to talk about heaven. We're going to talk about eternity. We're going to talk about what does it mean to live life in the presence of God. And we're going to see some exciting truths from Scripture and really talk about what are we waiting for. The Holy Spirit spoke this to me uh, just uh, over the last couple weeks. He said, Keith, he said, if we really knew what we were waiting for, we wouldn't want to wait. <laughs> if we really knew what we were waiting for, we wouldn't want to wait. We would be so chomping at the bits for what God has for us as we step into eternity that we wouldn't want to wait. We'd be pressing with all of our passion and our glory toward that time of His return. And then uh, two weeks from now, we're going to talk about what would our lives look like if we really live with an attitude of expectancy. How would an attitude of expectancy affect the way we live our lives? How would it affect the way we handle our relationships? How would it affect the way we conduct our business? How would it affect the way we live out our Christianity if we really lived with an anticipation of His return? So that's what we're going to talk about in the next two weeks. But today, we're going to kind of lay a foundational truth, and we're going to see kind of some stumbling blocks that stand in the way this morning of keeping us from living with an anticipation of the return 
of Jesus Christ. So let's look together in Philippians chapter 3, our foundational scripture for this study. Paul says this. He says, Dear brothers and sisters, pattern your lives after mine and learn from those who follow our example. For I have told you often before, and I say it again with tears in my eyes, that there are many whose conduct shows that they are really enemies of the cross of Christ. They are headed for destruction. Their God is their appetite. They brag about shameful things, and they think only about this life here on earth. But look at verse 20. But we are citizens of heaven, where the Lord Jesus Christ lives, and we are eagerly waiting. There it is. We are eagerly waiting for Him to return as our Savior. And he will take our weak mortal bodies and change them into glorious bodies like his own, using the same power with which he will bring everything under his control. Amen. Let's look at the first point on your outline. I want you to see this. The Apostle Paul says, uh, number one, that we need a pattern of anticipation. We need an example, right, for us to follow. Why do we need an example to follow? Because the reality is, is it's really difficult to live out something you've never seen before. I'll never forget Pastor Rick and Dusty are right back here in the back. They're our Celebrate Recovery pastors. And I'll never forget, not long after they got saved and set free from drugs and alcohol, Pastor Rick met with me one day and he said, Pastor Keith, I just want to let you know, we don't know what a Christian family looks like, so we just want you to know we're watching you. <laughs> and I thought, no pressure, right? <laughs> How many of you realize we really do need models? We need examples because if you're trying to do something you've never seen done, it's really hard to do it, right? Because sometimes we've all said this, right? We're trying to do something. If I could just see it, right? If I just had a picture of it, if I could just get an image of it, right? Most of us, we read the directions. We don't really read the directions. We just look at the pictures, right? Because if I can just see an image of it, then I can figure out how to do this thing. But if I don't have a model, if I don't have an example to follow, then it really makes it difficult for me to do the thing I'm trying to do. And so I want to encourage us today, over the next few weeks, what we're going to do is we're going to take the life of the Apostle Paul, we're going to take biblical Scripture, and from the truth of Scripture, we're going to create a model and an example of what it means to live a life anticipating the return of Jesus Christ. And we're going to look from Scripture and from the life of individuals in the Bible, and we're going to see what that looks like and how do we model our lives after them. Because Paul said, follow my example. And he said, the example of life that I'm living is a guy that is eagerly anticipating the coming of Jesus Christ. And so over the next few weeks, we're going to kind of learn how we do that. Now, let's look at our next statement on your outline, and I want to just say this is why it's really important. Why is it important that we have a biblical example? Why is it important that we have a model to follow? It's important because if you look at that next point on your outline, it's important because many people, look at this, many people have lost sight of Jesus' return. And they have perverted Christianity into a self-help philosophy that has no anticipation of the return of Christ. Why do we need a model? Why do we need an example? Why do we need something to begin to set and pattern our lives after? We need a model and we need an example because unfortunately many people, especially in America, let me just say, the American Christian culture has probably perverted Christianity more than any other culture on the planet. You go outside the borders of our country, and we just had our Guatemalan mission team get home last night, and we're so glad they're home, and they made it safe. Amen. Come on, let's praise God. 
We're going to hear some great things from them over the next few weeks, but excited about that. But when you get outside the borders of America, you find out there's a different culture of Christianity. Because we have perverted Christianity in our nation to where Christianity has almost become a philosophy of self-help, right? It, it goes something like this. If you serve Jesus, your marriage will work. And if you serve Jesus, you, you'll make more money. If you serve Jesus, right, great things will happen in your life. If you serve Jesus, you can be successful and you might even be famous if you'll just serve Jesus. Now, the truth is, let me just say the truth. Truth is, Jesus does make your marriage better. Anybody attest to that? And Jesus does make your finances better. I can attest to that. And Jesus does help you become more successful and prosperous, and he might even make you famous one day. But the reality is simply this. If the goal of Christianity is to help you be a better person, then we perverted Christianity. Right? Because we have forgotten who the Lord is, right? All of a sudden, we create a Christianity where we're the Lord— and we're the master, and Jesus is the servant, right? And he becomes our magic prayer genie in the bottle. And I know that's true because let me tell you how I know that's true. I know that's true because we get offended and mad at God when he doesn't do what we want him to do. I mean, think about it. We get offended and mad at God when he doesn't do what we ask him to do, when he doesn't answer our prayers the way we answered them in the time we wanted them answered, in the process we thought they should have been answered. And I can't tell you how many people I've seen leave the church, leave God, walk away from the Bible, abandon prayer because they got offended with God because he didn't do what they wanted him to do. Who's the master and who's the servant? If you're the master and God's the servant, then get offended at God if he don't do what he wants you to do. But I'm just going to tell you, if that's your model of Christianity, it is perverted, it is corrupted, and it will not save your soul. You'll die and spend eternity in hell separated from God because you don't need a genie, you need a Savior and a Lord. And so we need a model and we need a pattern because we have perverted this thing. And here's the challenge. Even, as, even right here in Arab, Alabama, spirit-filled, God-loving, patriotic believers, if we're not careful, we will drift. We will drift into a perverted mentality of Christianity where we become the master and Jesus becomes the servant, where we hold the bottle and he's the genie. If we're not careful, we'll drift. And so today from Scripture, from Philippians 3, I want to share with you three characteristics of perverted Christianity, three things that really undermine me and you living with an anticipation of expectation, that undermines us looking with an eager hope for the return of Jesus Christ. Three characteristics of perverted Christianity. Let's look at the first one, or let's look at our Scripture again. Paul described it there in Philippians Verse 18 and 19, he says, For I have told you often before, and I say it again with tears in my eyes. Now look at this statement. That there are many whose conduct show that they are really enemies of the cross of Christ. How many know conduct matters? Right? Conduct matters to God. As a matter of fact, when you were in elementary school, they used to grade conduct. Right? Y'all remember that? Right? And some of you really flunked. I mean, you were bad. Right? And you're like, man, I pray, I'm glad I got into high school where they stopped grading conduct, right? Because, I mean, I, I'd never graduate. 
right? They used to grade our conduct when we were little. Why? Because they were trying to instill something in us. They were trying to instill a philosophy, a mentality, an idea that says, you know what, how you act and how you treat others and how you live your life really does matter. See, the truest measure of your belief is your behavior. The truest measure of your belief is your behavior. See, what, how you behave reveals accurately what you really believe. Now, it is, it is easy, it is easy for us to profess a belief but not practice a belief. Right? It's easy to profess Jesus as Lord and then live our lives doing just what we want to do. And so Paul said, here are some folks whose conduct, their behavior, sets them in a position where they actually are enemies of the cross of Christ. They are fighting against the very thing that Jesus came to accomplish and fulfill and do in the hearts and lives of people. And then he goes on in verse 19, let's look at it, and he describes what I'm calling this morning perverted Christianity. He says, they are headed for destruction. Their God is their appetite, they brag about shameful things, and they think only about this life here on earth. So let's look at our first point. The first key or characteristic of perverted Christianity is perverted Christianity's God is their appetite. He said their God is their appetite. The word appetite literally means uh, hunger or carnal desire. See, there is a perverted Christianity that is driven by carnal desire. It's all driven by what I want, right? God is supposed to help me get what I want. God is supposed to help me be who I want to be. God is supposed to help me do what I want to do. And it's all about my appetite. It's all about my God is my appetite. It's what I want, what I like, and how I like it, the way I want it served to me. And that's what God is supposed to do. He's supposed to help me become the person I want to be. I want to tell you something. God is not interested in the person you want to be. God is interested in the person he created you to be. God is interested in the passion and the desire and the will that he has laid out for your life. Let me give you a scripture. It's not on the screen. It's 1 John. You want to write it down. You can look at it when you get home. 1 John chapter 2, verse 16 says, For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eye, the pride of life, is not the Father, but is of the world. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eye, the pride of life. Man, their God is their appetite. All of a sudden, they're being driven by their carnal desires. It's all about what I want. God, this is what I want, and this is how I want it, and this is when I want it. And God, if you don't perform to my level, then maybe you don't need to be my God. Now, we would never say that, but we act that way. We get mad at God. We get frustrated with God. We, we get offended with God because he doesn't do what we want him to do when we want him to do it, how we want him to do it. Why? Because our God is our appetite. We become driven by a carnal desire instead of being driven by a desire to please God. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, the apostle Paul says this. He says, whether I am absent or whether I am present, speaking about whether I'm this world or whether I'm in the world to come, I make it my aim, my goal, my purpose, my plan is to please the one that died for me. Right? So we got to ask ourselves a question. Are we being driven by carnal desire, are we being driven by a desire to please the one 
that died for us? Is God our servant that we're calling on to accomplish our goals, or are we His children trying to pursue and accomplish the will of our Father who created us? The second characteristic of a perverted Christianity is he said that perverted Christianity, look what he says, he says they, they brag about shameful things. Psalms 49 verse 6 says this, they trust in their wealth and they boast of great riches. They brag about shameful things. Think about what we boast about. Think about what we brag about. You know what I love to hear? I love to hear people say, hey, Pastor Keith, let me tell you what God's doing in my life. Let me tell you what, how, what God's doing here and what God's doing here and what God's doing here. Lord, let me, let me tell you how God did this. So let me tell you how God did that. And then you flip the coin and you meet other people. And let me tell you about what I'm doing. And let me tell you about how determined I am. And let me tell you about how, work, how hardworking I am. And let me tell you what my money bought me. And let me tell you about my position. And let me tell you about my possession. And let me tell you about my pride. They boast only about shameful things. See, when you have a perverted Christianity, all your praise, all your adoration goes to yourself. You celebrate you. You celebrate your accomplishments, you celebrate your strengths, you celebrate your possessions, you celebrate your power, and God is not even in the midst. There is no praise, there is no glory, there is no adoration, there is no bragging, there is no boasting that goes to God. Let me give you a couple more scriptures here. You might want to write them down. I'm not going to put every scripture on the screen because you need to go home and read something. Amen? Amen. Psalms 34.2 says, My soul shall make its boast in the Lord. Psalms 44 verse 8 says, In God we boast all day long and praise your name forever. Galatians 6 14 says, But God forbid that I should boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ by whom the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. You hear a common thread there? Where's their boast at? Where's their brag at? Where's their accomplishments at? Where's their praise going to? It's going to God. Now, that doesn't mean we can't say, hey, my kid made all straight A's and I'm really proud of him. That doesn't mean say, hey, we won the Friday night football game. Wasn't that great? They played really good. It doesn't mean we can't do that. It just means if that's all we do and there's no brag or boast of God in our mouths, then we have lost sight of the one who died for us. We have lost sight of the one who died for us. And we have begun to selfishly take credit for the work and the grace of God in our lives. Because here's the truth. The truth is God's at work in your life. The Bible says every good and every perfect gift comes from above. Right? Any good thing in your life, you can give credit to God. Any bad thing in your life, you can probably take credit for it. I know I can, right? If it's a mess up, if it's a screw up, if it's a shortcoming, that's Keith. If it's good, it's God, right? If it's good, it's God. And you know what? I love to brag on God. I love to boast on Him. And I used to, I've shared this before, I used to be embarrassed when I would go out and I'd talk to other pastors and they'd say, praise God, we had one person saved last week. That's the person, first person we've had saved in six months. And I'm thinking we've had 64 people saved in the last three weeks. Now, we really haven't had 64 people saved in the last three weeks, three months, but we've seen God move, Right? 
Over 150 people last year accepted Jesus Christ on Sunday morning in this church. Over 300 people last year made a decision to make Jesus Christ the Lord of their life as a part of the ministries and outreaches of this church. And you know what? I used to be ashamed to do that. And I said, God, I don't want them to think I'm bragging. He said, what's wrong with bragging on me? I didn't save them. <laughs> he did. There's nothing good in me, Paul said, except Jesus. And so a perverted Christianity boasts only on shameful things. I heard Rick Burgess, who's a Rick and Burgess show, Rick Burgess shared and spoke at a men's conference at our church we hosted, and, and he made this statement, and I, it just stuck in my heart. He said, he said, most of you don't know my pawpaw. He said, but my papa was a soul-winning man. He said he loved Jesus, and everywhere he went, he told people about Jesus. And he said, when my papa went home to be with the Lord, he died a nobody. He said, but I want you to understand something. He said, we live in Alabama, and in Alabama, Bear Bryant is everything. He said, but let me tell you, in heaven, my papa's a somebody, and Bear Bryant's a nobody, because you don't get credit in heaven for winning football games. But we boast. We boast in our accomplishments. We boast in our successes. We boast in the things that we have done and accomplished in our flesh. And nothing wrong with winning football games. But how many you know God doesn't give you a platform of success so you can build up your name? God gives you a platform of success so you can build up His name. So you can give all the glory and all the honor and all the power and all the praise to God, right? Because it all comes from Him. The third characteristic of perverted Christianity, Paul goes on and says, he said, perverted Christianity thinks only about this life on earth. He said, they think only about this life here on earth. Now, again, let me just table this with, there's nothing wrong with thinking about life. You need to think about your family. You need to think about your finances. You need to think about your business. You need to think about your church. You need to think about your community. You need to think about your nation. And you need to think about your world. But if that's the only thing you think about, then you've been corrupted by deception. They think only about this life here on earth. Only about this life. When's the last time you thought about how your life was marking eternity? When's the last time you woke up and thought about how can I live today for the glory of God? It's not about me, it's about Him. I'm not just living for this life. Jesus said in the Gospel of Matthew chapter 6, verse 34, He says, Seek ye first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things shall be added to you. What are the things He's talking about? He's talking about clothes and food and houses, places to live, things, cars to drive. He didn't talk about cars then, but that would be a modern interpretation. Why? Because Jesus says, Seek ye first the kingdom of God. Don't just think about this life. How many know this life ends like that? We've had three deaths in our church in the last two weeks. People that were not supposed to die, right? People that we were holding on to, people that we loved, people that we cared about, people that we were praying for. But you know what? Death comes. And life, the Bible says, is a vapor. It passes right by. And so we've got to make sure that we haven't bought into this perverted mentality of Christianity where all we think about is this world, where all we think about is this life, where all we think about is our possessions and our things and our positions. We need to begin thinking about what am I doing now to lay up treasure in heaven? What am I doing now to impact eternity? What am I doing now in light of where I'm going to spend the rest of my life? Let me give you a couple more scriptures. 
Colossians chapter 3, verse 2 says, set your mind on things above, not on the things, not on things on the earth. Set your mind on things above. Think about heaven. Think about what we're waiting for. Think about the, the, the reality that there is a kingdom, right? Isn't that what Jesus taught us to pray? Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We need to be kingdom-minded, not earthly-minded, right? We need to be kingdom-minded, not earthly-minded. Now, we live in the earth, praise God, but this is our opportunity on planet earth to lay up treasure in heaven. This is our opportunity here to impact the souls of people. Because how many know that when you die and go to heaven, the only thing you can take with you is people? You don't take your house, your car, right? Right? Y'all have heard that little old joke, right? You've never seen a hearse. I mean, you've never seen a U-Haul behind a hearse, right? Because you can't take it with you. You can't take your house, your car, your rings, and your things. You can't take any of that stuff. What do we get to take to heaven? We only get to take to heaven the people that we've shared the gospel of Jesus Christ with, the people that we have impacted, and the people that we have influenced for the kingdom of God, right? We need to be kingdom-minded, right? Not earthly-minded. And again, that doesn't mean we don't think about the things of this world. It just means that's not all we think about, Right? I'll be honest with you, early on in ministry, God had to recorrect me because all I thought about was the kingdom and I didn't think about the earth. And there were some natural things I wasn't taking care of called my family. I neglected my family for the first two years of ministry. Why? Because I was kingdom-minded. And God said, hey, being kingdom-minded means that you got to take care of the people I've entrusted to you. That's part of the kingdom. But we can't just only think about that. There has to be a balance in our minds where we recognize that the kingdom of God permeates everything that we do. It dictates how we live our lives, how we treat people, how we love people, how we conduct business, how we handle money. All the things that we do comes out of a kingdom-minded mentality. 